being a good warrior means first being a good person. The warrior mindset isn't about aggression or anger or even stoicism. It's about having love and respect for your tribe uh, and helping to protect those in need. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest spent over nine years in naval special warfare with extensive combat operations experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. He served as a joint terminal attack controller, intelligence analyst, lead breacher, communication specialist, and held various other qualifications for his special operations team. He spent his last three years in the Navy teaching combat shooting and helping to develop the modern-day combatives program at the Basic Underwater Demolition School, commonly referred to as BUDS. He has trained thousands of military members, government employees, law enforcement officers, and civilians. He is also the founder of Defense Strategies Group, a training and security company based in Los Angeles, California, and has worked in private equity, co-founded two small businesses and a nonprofit, although that one unsuccessfully. He has an MBA from the University of California, San Diego, and a bachelor's degree from Boston University. Please welcome to the show, Mike O'Dowd. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jared. Yeah, let's just do it. And I know that a lot of kind of stories on Navy SEALs and and research into Navy SEALs starts with Hell Week, in part because that's, I think, the beginning of the journey for folks, and also because it's a little bit voyeuristic. I think folks are interested by it, and I, I don't want to border onto that voyeuristic side of things, but I would like to know, what was Hell Week like for you? Was this just a walk in the park? It's a good question. Uh, let me let me start just by saying that anything I say today is just completely representative of me. I don't speak for anyone else, any community. Um, yeah, I just want to make that clear. Uh, this is just my own personal experience. For me, uh, Hell Week, Hell Week was one of these times where it was really difficult physically. Um, but mentally, I think I found out more about myself than ever in my life. The first, I guess the, the, the main lesson that comes to mind is leading under chaos. I was in a boat crew of guys, about six or seven guys. And, uh, about halfway, we, we, a few days in, we had an officer who had quit and, the title of boat crew leader just goes to whoever the next guy is of the highest rank. And we were all low enlisted guys. I just happened to be higher of the low enlisted guys. So I assumed command. The best of the worst. The the best of the worst. (laughs) Exactly. And um, so I took charge and I had never been in charge of anything before. Um, I I didn't even have a dog. I, I was in charge of nothing. So I just assumed at the time that being in charge meant telling people what to do. Um, and if people were struggling, you would just yell at them, work harder. And um, I found out very quickly that was awful. Um, doesn't work. doesn't motivate people. And especially with, with an alpha uh, A-type personality, it's actually the worst thing you could do. So I had a... a a couple of nervous breakdowns in Hell Week where I just not about thinking about quitting, but thinking about, oh my God, like how am I gonna go any further? Um I can't I don't know what to do. I was fortunate enough where I had some some really good guys in my boat, um, Dustin and a few other guys that come to mind where they they knew the deal. That they, they 
they were also in charge. We were essentially a democracy of um, men in charge of the same boat uh, with the same common goal. And uh, they pushed me through it. But I came out of there learning, wow, like I do not know what I'm doing when it comes to leadership. Um, and it really helped me for the next you know, 10, 15 years up till now of how I want to be viewed as a leader um, when given that opportunity. And also understanding that sometimes you need to lead and, and sometimes you need to follow. And, you know, part of being a good leader is understanding, like, sometimes I'm not the expert. Sometimes it's not my skill set and I need to push off to somebody else who knows it. Let them take charge for a little bit. What kind of things did you learn about leadership and chaos? I learned that in 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 chaotic situations, emergencies... Um, the natural state is everyone wants to freak out. Everyone's heart rates are going through the roof. Voices are elevating. And it's really tempting to join in, in the, the noise and just start yelling things or start making erratic decisions. And it takes discipline and practice to, to sit back and actually observe for a minute and let let a little bit of the chaos unfold, you know, not not being too quick to act, and and watching it, and then actually coming to a decision, keeping a calm voice, keeping a calm demeanor, and then acting, and and you know learning that <laughs> through Hell Week made uh, leadership and you know any any stressful situations in the future on deployments or, or even in the business world a whole lot easier. You spoke about making erratic decisions, and that is my forte, just all over the map. <laughs> Clueless. I love it. Uh, but you did, you did mention that you found a lot about yourself. You learned a lot about yourself during Hell Week. Was there anything that kind of stuck out through that process for you? I learned that. I'm far more motivated by helping other people than I am by helping myself. Can you go deeper? Yeah. I think if, I think if, uh, seal training, if it was an individual sport, uh, where you go through by yourself, I really don't think, I, I don't know if anyone would make it. I don't know if you, you might get a handful of guys who would make it. I don't know if I would have made it if it was if it was a completely individual event, um, just a group of instructors yelling at you and pushing you. Maybe I I just don't know. Um, I do know that I got through because I had people around me who I wanted to help. I could focus my energy on other people and their suffering and their pain. And I swear, the first three days just went by in an instant. I looked up and it was Wednesday and I was like, holy crap, where did, where did the time go? Because I, I, I just committed to focusing on other, other people. It's pretty amazing. How has that translated through the rest of your life? Like that doesn't just end, does it? It, it doesn't end, uh, but you definitely have to put it into practice or, or you know, re, relearn it, think about it. It's not at least in me, it's not innate. I don't, uh, I don't wake up in the morning and go, huh, how can I help other people today? Um, I think inherently most of us are selfish and we wake up in the morning and think, boy, what do I want to do today? Um, but when times get tough, it's, it's pretty easy to reflect back and go, okay, let's just for a second think about what else is going on, the bigger picture. And, and maybe there's some people who are having a harder time than I am. That always helps me get through things, whether it's exercise or work or whatever the heck that is. Um, you mentally, you're, you're just offsetting your own pain and, and helping somebody else out. Obviously recording this in the middle of a pandemic, I think there's a lot of folks out there that could use that help. There's, and there's a lot of folks out there searching for that kind of community and that support and that, because it's, it's both ways. It's not just you get benefit from, helping others, they also, those folks, of course, get benefit from that process as well. I totally agree. I totally agree. We had um, 
some people in our neighborhood when the p- pandemic first kicked off and they were banding together. Um, I don't know how successful it was, but they were banding together to provide food or aid or, you know, whatever kind of services they could help out some of the elderly in the community. And I thought, what a great way to kind of deflect whatever troubles you're having on your own, uh, your own family and, mm-hmm. and step up in the community and help others. I, I think it's, I think it's a little bit, um, uh, contagious. People see that and they go, Oh, wow. Well, they're helping somebody out. Maybe I can do that. Or at a minimum, it makes them feel like total pieces of shit for not helping out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more important. Is just, <laughs> Mike, that's why I help is to make others feel like garbage. Um, <laughs> purely self-serving. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too voyeuristic, like I said. But can you kind of paint a picture about Hell Week for those folks that don't know? I think outside the U.S., there's probably less of a knowledge about what that is. My picture is through books around, you know, David Goggins or uh, or Jocko, folks like that that paint a picture of it's a week, right, of, of fairly little sleep and running and swimming and very physical kind of exercise. Is there anything I'm missing in that description? It's, I mean, if you've read about it, you've read about it, but that's kind of the neat thing about, uh, hell week is it's every, every person who goes to the the training has to, has to do this. So it's the one common thing throughout our careers that we've all done. Uh, and it's basically the same. You may go through a summer and it's, you know, warmer, but you run more, you may go through a winter and it's colder. So you're in the water more. It's miserable. It, it, it would it would start on a, a Sunday and it would end on a Friday. Uh, you would run hundreds of miles throughout the week. Um, you you get little sleep. Um, and by little, I mean you get a couple of one-hour naps. And it's not, it's not designed to let you rest. It's designed to make you miserable. If you've ever been up for three, four days and then taken a one-hour nap and then were woken up, and put in cold water, um, it actually is more miserable than just going through. You you can put people in really bad situations, and if you keep them in it and you push them, they some people who are really tough they can go through un, until they physically the you know they die. If you take them out of that for even a, an hour, a few minutes, put them in a warm room put them in a sleeping bag, let them rest their eyes. And then you put them back into that hell. Oh my gosh. I, I remember the the first nap I took in hell week, I woke up, they put me in the cold water and uh, I was just crying. <laughs> I had tear, <laughs> tears coming down my face and I was like a pouty little five-year-old boy. I was just like, <laughs> I can't believe this is happening to me. And where's I, mom? Where's <laughs> I just felt like such a little baby. It's like, I'm crying right now. What is going on here? Um, and some guys quit. It, it puts, it puts people over the top. There's nothing, there's nothing in that program that isn't designed specifically with, with purpose behind it. Why didn't you quit? Man, that's a great question. I, I think a few reasons. Uh, one, I saw the bigger picture. I, I, I saw it as, this is just really hard stuff and I have to get through it to do what I want to do. Um, I also, I, I, I told so many people that I was doing this and I was accountable to so many other people, including friends, family. Um, (laughs) I just, I kept thinking about the embarrassment and shame of like, man, if I don't, if I come home and I'm like, Hey guys, yeah, I, I just quit. I don't know what I would have done. It was just too embarrassing. Um, and then, of course, looking to the left and right, you see you see your brothers and you're like, man, there's no way I'm leaving these guys alone. Why did you want to be a special operator? I think since I was 13, 14, it's just... I'll give my personal story and, and I can say there's very similar stories throughout, but uh, 
I just always grew up a, a protector. I if I would see if I would see somebody getting bullied, I always wanted to jump in and, and help them. Uh, if I was out at a bar and I, a fight broke out, I wanted to be right in the mix and 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 stop it or, or you know help. I just I've always had this profound sense of justice, and I thought you know the, the, what a perfect career for somebody like me to go in and be able to help. Um, you know, if not me, who else? Like who who else in the community uh, could do this type of work, if not me? And then uh, September 11th, when that hit, I was a senior in high school, and I just remember having so much rage and uh, and sadness, and wanting to go go out and do something about it. I felt so helpless and so vulnerable. So. I spent the next few years kind of going back and forth between, is this what I want to do? Uh, which I knew it was what I wanted to do, but I grew up in a, in a very liberal family. The military wasn't an option. The military was uh, something other people did. So it took a few years to actually get the courage to just on my own decide, you know what, that's, that's what I want. I'm going to carve my own path. And I finally made that jump. Why be a special operator though? Like why not just go into the military? You know, if you're going to do something, you want to be the best. And that's, that's what I saw as the best. I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to join something and be sitting on a ship or doing some job that was just collecting a paycheck. I wanted to do something that was exciting, that would test me and that would be in the fight, you know? I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be in the back. We, we, you know, all the jobs in the military are excellent uh, in terms of you're you're serving your country, you're doing something bigger than yourself. I, re, I have respect for everyone in the military, um, but for me, I just thought I need to be in the mix. I need to be right there on the front line and uh, and taking the fight to the enemy. If you I get, like you obviously have this drive to be the best and to prove yourself and to be the best version of yourself. So how do you continue to do that now? Oh, I think I toss with that daily. <laughs> you haven't figured it out? <laughs> I feel like I feel like when I was in the Navy, I was I was constantly trying to be the best and uh I feel like now you know being out for a few years I've, uh, I definitely have my lazy days, my days where I don't necessarily think that, uh, I'm trying to be the best today. Um, but in, in general, I, 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 I'm, I'm constantly trying to improve what maybe not as competitive as I used to be saying, I'm going to be the best. Um, but I may try to be the best version of myself or try to take one step of improvement. Um, I know a lot of veterans when they get out, they 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 have a lot of difficulties uh mentally physically you know you you name it um for me i've always found that just instead of comparing myself to the way i used to be i compare myself to what i am now and i just every day i'm like okay how can i improve mentally uh can i can i read something new can i learn something new did i work out today um you know, with, with, with businesses, just little small steps have given me more, um, more satisfaction than if I try to take a huge bite of something and, 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 and not get it. So I, I've, I think I've kept my goals more realistic these days and makes me a little bit happier. How do you balance that drive to keep pushing yourself with, I think a need to also be kind to, to yourself, to oneself or do you? That's a great question. I'm pretty hard on myself. And I think most guys who, who are, uh, who are in these roles or who previously have been in these roles are very, very critical of themselves. Our entire jobs were always focusing on our weaknesses and you know when I first got out, we were doing this uh, this like Gallup Strengths Finder kind of training, and I just thought, what a crock of shit! <laughs> I'm 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 focusing on what I'm good at, 
and ignoring my weaknesses. And I, I just didn't buy into it. And honestly, to this day, I, I still don't buy into that crap. I, I, I think um, focus, knowing your strengths and focusing on them in terms of getting ahead in life is, is one thing. But to sit and ignore the things that you're not good at, I've never been okay with that. And I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm just saying that's who, who I am. And uh, it's a really difficult thing because it, it leaves you some days not feeling, feeling happy or fulfilled. Um, but like I said, I've been able to manage that by focusing on small incremental daily victories, right? I went for a run today. That's a high five to myself. I, you know, I eat dinner tonight and I'm like, yeah, you did it, Mike. You did it. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you don't have those, you know, you you have to remember that wherever you came from, even, even if, even if you climbed Mount Everest or, you know, got a PhD or became a special forces operator, whatever accomplishments you had were in the past. And if every day you live off of those successes, then the rest of your life is just downhill. Um, so I've had a difficult time reframing that, but more recently I've been able to just go, okay, that was my past. And now look at me, who am I now? And let's move forward from that. Mike, I played competitive baseball and, you know, as like a young kid or whatever, you get pretty up on yourself when you hit, you know, maybe you hit a double or maybe you hit a couple home runs in a game like two for two with two bombs or something like that. And I remember coming into the dugout and my coach would say, you know, after I'm all proud and stuff and he'd say, well, what have you done for me lately? Just meaning like, <laughs> just meaning yeah. like, you know, it's your next at bat. That's what matters. Yeah. And that's life, man. Like improving 1% every day, getting out of bed when you're tired. That's the stuff that matters. Yeah. I, I totally agree. That's uh, really funny. You said that I, you know, people are like, oh man, uh, they like, you know, when I'm teaching a class, they'll say, oh, you, you were a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, uh, this was a few years back. I'm like, yeah. And now I'm a project manager. Um, and, and they were just <laughs> looking at me dumbfounded. I'm like, it, you know, that's, that was my life. My life now is totally different. It's, uh, it's really hard when you look back and you try to compare yourself to something you did successfully. But I think if you remember like your life, maybe 70, 80 years, if you're lucky, that was a 10 year stint of my life. And I got to focus on what's my next major accomplishment or major thing that'll make me happy. Yeah. It's hard not to define yourself by those things that folks want to define you by. Yeah. Like, I like think it's, what is that next definition of Mike? Yeah. People love to put, uh, put titles and names on things. Um, but really we're just, we're just dynamic people. Um, I have a lot of friends who got out and they were, they were either Marines or army or Navy and they were bad ass dudes. And now they're doing things like, you know, going back to school or they're, they're working, ballet teachers. You know, yeah. Or they're, they're artists or, they're living in vans or they're, they're doing things that, you know, you wouldn't write a book about, but they're living their lives and they're, and they're doing what they want to do. And more importantly, I think they're just happy or happier. Um, and I've started to realize that's what it's all about. It's like, do what makes you feel good. One part of your journey that I really respect and admire is how you grew up and then having to make that choice to follow your own path, even in the face of well, this isn't really a part of what we do and going kind of against what you'd been told. And I think that that in and of itself, regardless of the decision takes a lot of courage. So you deserve kudos just for that. And then kind of everything else on top of that. Yeah. Thank you. I, uh, I think my mom might disagree, but, uh, I appreciate that. As you look back, Mike, on those kind of skills that you were taught throughout your special operator training and then being deployed. What are some of those things that stand out as important skills that maybe you still rely on today? I think one of the most important is just grit. Taking terrible situations and just pushing through them uh, with with grit. 
basically looking back at something that's challenging and just going, this isn't going to phase me. I can get through this. Um, you know, in, in, in training or in, in deployments, it was always just ignoring pain, uh, ignoring the discomfort and just focusing on the mission. And now, it, you know, it turns into I've got deadlines to hit and I have my kids, uh, you know, I'm watching my kids and my house is a mess and I'm super stressed out. And it's just like, take a deep breath and go, you're going to get through this. You know, it uh, grit will take you a long way. What are, what are some of those strategies you have for managing, for, for building up your grit? Well, I think compartmentalization was always something we did in training, just focusing on what's happening right now. It's not as easy in, uh, I'll call it the real world, in the, in the civilian or the business world. It's not as easy to compartmentalize because so many things are thrown at you. The military is this kind of amazing, but also separate world where so many things are taken care of for you and you really can choose to focus on just the mission and your focus uh, on, on yourself and your team. And in the real world, um, or the, I shouldn't say the real world, the, the business world or civilian world, it, uh, life sometimes takes just a huge shit on your day and <laughs> throws so many things at you and you just, you have, you have to balance and manage. And for me, a lot of times I just take a step back and I'm like, Whoa, there's not enough time in the day. Um, but I'm just going to focus on one thing. I'm going to get one thing done. If nothing else, that one thing is going to give me some kind of satisfaction. You know, Admiral McRaven used to talk about making your bed, uh, make your bed in the morning and then you've accomplished something. And, And there's something to that. You know, I, I never make my bed, but, uh, there's other things, you know, maybe, maybe going for a run or, or, uh, going through your emails. That's your success for the day. I think, um, another, another skill, you know, that, I, that I look back on is, and it really does help. Um, most non-military people look at vets like we're crazy when we talk about, the, uh, when we solve problems this way, but military is so good at dumbing down very complicated situations. Um, there's so many moving parts in a mission, right? You go into a you go into a house. You're going to capture or kill somebody. There's there's airplanes. There's helicopters. There's there's tanks or jeeps and all, all these things moving, people shooting, chaos, and we just focus on okay, we got to get in, grab a guy, get out, dumb it down, and and translating that in the business world, it's so it makes things so simple and and. I think people look at us like we're crazy sometimes when we dumb it down. Uh, you know, I was working in real estate for a little bit and, and people would tr- just overcomplicate things and, and make it seem like um, there were s- like life or death emergencies. And you're like, at the end of the day, this is just about money, guys. Like we're all going home to our families. We're all going to have dinner at our homes tonight. Everything's okay. Um. I think that's a that's a that's a great skill that I wish the military could pass on to the rest of the world. Um, looking at situations and just going, you know what, this is just so much easier than we're making it. This is a dumb question, but what does that actual process look like of dumbing something down? I think it look you look at the things that are actually necessary, the things that are. Um, the things that are the most important, right? So, for instance, if you're going on a, if you were, if you were on a mission to go capture somebody, uh, the the overall the high level picture of the battlefield is we're going to go in, grab somebody, go out. Everything else is details and logistics, and we can figure it out either on the fly or with planning. But the overall concept is just that. It's so simple. Go in, grab a guy, get out. My, my last uh, job, in um, I worked in private equity briefly, and there were so many times when 
we would have these huge elaborate plans or these 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 business models that were just like pages and pages and pages long and we're like wait a minute let's let's break this down to its most simplest form we have a product and we're selling the product let's just get let's get the product to the people right let's we we market it we we get it out there we sell it it's just not as difficult as as uh, we'd make it. We'd overthink things, um, and yes, of course, there's nuances and and a lot of details that we're skipping that have to get done. But those little details are 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 at an individual level. But the overall concepts and the planning keep it simple, and and you have less chance for failure. How do you balance that? simplicity mindset with also needing to fill in the blanks. So you gave the example of we go in, we grab this individual and then we come out. But if I'm one of those operatives, how do I also know my role and know maybe some of the sub steps below that? Or is that just something you learn with experience? You know, every, every operator had his or her role and we were such a cohesive unit. Um, we just knew it. Right, we knew this guy was in charge of this. That guy is in charge of the radios. This guy is in charge of the vehicles, and 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 we had our roles, and we just knew it. And we we had such a level of trust with one another that you never had to you never had to micromanage. You never had to second guess one another. You just knew that guy's got it. And we had a little bit of redundancy in case somebody was hurt or injured or you know went down. Um, but for the most part, everyone had their own role. And you knew that was going to get done. We're on the topic of combat in in some kind of minor way. And I know that you're somebody that really enjoyed that process of being deployed and being overseas. And you were somebody that reveled a little bit in the combat piece. Can you speak how you manage fear when you're interacting in kind of full-on combat with potentially an enemy? I've spoken to a number of veterans uh, over the past few years, um, trying to just trying to see how everyone thought and what what their ideas were on on this topic. And it, it seems kind of consensus that when you deploy, when you go overseas, you basically accept that you're going to die, or you're already dead, or you're probably going to die. And once you've accepted death, um, it's a really freeing feeling. You kind of become an animal in that you're not thinking about death or dying. You're just focusing on what you have to do and you're acting. And when you become that animal, man, it it's unlike any other feeling. You're just untouchable. Um Mentally, I should say. Obviously, you could still get killed, but, <laughs> but you <laughs> make sure we, we clarify that. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're just untouchable mentally. You you don't think about oh my gosh, what's the you know you j- you jump out of a plane. You're not thinking oh my god, I could die. You're just thinking, look down, pull, look up. Okay, shoots open, start directing. Uh, you walk into a house. You're not thinking oh my gosh, I hope I don't blow up. Or I hope somebody doesn't shoot me. You're just acting, no different than, you know, an animal, you know, like a lion going on a hunt, or you know, some other awesome animal doing something cool. You're just you're focused on what you have to do, and it's such a freeing feeling. Um, I think when guys, when veterans talk about missing war or missing being deployed i honestly think that's the feeling they're missing the feeling of having the only accountability you have is to your your teammates you you know your 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 side your tribe and you just don't care about your own safety you're just going and you're going to like capture kill whatever the mission is you're going to do it and man it's it's addicting it's a really freeing feeling, and ugh, I, to this day, I, I miss it. It's, there's nothing like it. Is there any way you've found to get that feeling 
in the traditional world you're living in now? No, no, I, you know, I, I think I still have this idea about death where it comes for us all. So I don't really care about it as much. Um, you know, some guys, you know, may, you, you may become an adrenaline junkie and want to go ride your motorcycle fast or do something stupid, but in general, there's just nothing like it. Um, there's no experience like it. And mainly too, because you, you don't have in, in the civilian world, you just don't have the same people with you who would do that, uh, who would have your back. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's different. What role do you think mindset plays in being a good special operator? Man, mindset is everything. So three years of my career I spent as an instructor at like the basic schoolhouse for guys who wanted to come through um, training. And, you know, the tough guys, the big, huge muscles, chest beating, loudest yellers. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> you know, like we, we all know those guys. They're, you know, you look at them on the street and go, that's the alpha male. And uh, I got to tell you, man, those guys never make it through training. Never. And, and I, I can't figure out why. I've got some theories. I, I, I think it has to do with um, they're, they're, they're kind of hiding behind their muscles, their, their toughness. Uh, deep down, they're maybe not as tough as they think. But uh, it's always the quiet, humble gray man the little skinny guy, you're like, that dude will never make it. And that guy just makes it and he never quits and he's tough as shit. And you're like, man, how is that little nerd so tough? And it's just because his mind is so tough. It's unbreakable. And um, God, it gives me like chills thinking about it. But I love, I used to love watching the big tough guys quit. You're just like, you know, you're, your muscles look nice. They're huge. Good job, you know. Uh, but mentally, your your brain is weak, and um, you know, your your mindset going through difficult things is is all you have. You may you may not eat. I know ra ranger training. I have some ranger buddies, and ranger training is like it's it's slightly less physical uh, than our than our training in some ways. But the guys don't eat. They eat like a cracker a day for for months. That's hardcore, you know. I as as hard as my training was, I look at that. I'm like, shit. I don't know if I'd make it through that. Um, well, there's just, the next test. There, there it is. There it is. I'm join the army. <laughs> um, but but really, it always comes down to the the mental toughness. Um, yeah, the, the, that warrior mindset. I, I, I talk a lot about, I give, I give these talks on warrior mindset and uh, uh, I, I have a quote that I say, it's uh, being a good warrior means first being a good person. The warrior mindset it isn't about aggression or anger or even stoicism. It's about having love and respect for your tribe uh, and helping to protect those in need. I think a lot of people think that maybe it's Instagram or some other BS on, on the internet, but people look at operators and they see these big bearded guys with guns and they're like, Oh, these guys are so cool and tough. And it's like, no man, these guys are just good people. Hmm. Um, they, they, you know, they have respect and love for their, their team, uh, their country, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to help those people. And, and help that country and, and the community and they have the discipline to do it and that's that's something that's rare and I think that's what sets operators apart from maybe maybe the rest of the world I know from an outside perspective I really admire those operators hearing stories about you know David Goggins and of course that's you know one of the most famous ones or Jocko but, but that trickles down through everybody as a special operator is these are folks that are getting up every single day and putting in that work. And I yeah. think that, that that is so admirable 
And I think that that is another reason why entrepreneurs are viewed in kind of that same perspective is it all everybody in the world knows that success doesn't just come easy. There's no overnight successes that entrepreneurs are folks that are getting up every day, dealing with hard problems, you know, doing the equivalent of their five mile runs every day or 10 mile runs every single day at five in the morning. And folks that have that discipline, like you mentioned, are really admirable. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right. It's uh, the discipline, not skill set, not talent. Um, because any of us can have that, right? Yeah. hundred percent. You know, if Jocko was never a Navy SEAL, he still would be one scary dude, <laughs> you know, because his discipline and his work ethic. Um, and I, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are the same way. You, you may not be scared of those guys, but you look at them with admiration because you go, holy crap, that guy works 15 hour days nonstop. Um, my last, uh, my last boss, the CEO of my last company was a uh, former Green Beret, this guy, Fran. And the guy, the guy was working. He was the first one in the office and the last one to leave every single day. That's freaking motivating. When, when you see, you're like, wow, the leader of this company is the first one in, the last one to leave, works uh, harder than anyone. And, and, you know, it, it drives you like, maybe I'm going to show up a little bit earlier. Maybe I'm going to stay a little bit later. Um, it, it's contagious, that, that mindset. You've already spoken about a little bit, and this may be a good kind of segue, is you've spoken about the kind of human performance. You've spoken about the warrior mindset. And I know that you were a BUDS instructor. So that for the folks listening that may not know, that that's the hell week. And so you were one of the instructors during that period of time for, I think, three years. And I'd be interested to know from you, Mike, what you learned about human performance during that time. Was there anything that kind of stood out as you look back on that time? Yeah. Yeah. So the, those three years were easily the, the most rewarding years um, of my career, just hands down. Um, you know, for, for selfishly, because I was helping people rather than hurting them. Mm-hmm. And, and but also pushing people to taking people off the streets and building them up in into these guys who have like extreme confidence and extreme skills uh really rewarding um but i learned so much during that time i learned stuff about myself i learned so much about people and human performance i would watch guys push themselves to the brink um I mean, literally one time a student uh, essentially died in front of us. Uh, his, his blood glucose just went to a level that was, uh, he, he was unconscious and, you know, we, we had no pulse and, and we couldn't find a vein. And we were like, wow, this kid, this guy just ran till he died. Unfortunately, we, we, he was able to, we brought him back. He, you know, gave him glucose and got his heart going and, um, where else do you see that? You don't, you don't walk into an Equinox gym and watch a guy push himself till he dies. You know, people are, people are wearing makeup at the gym and running on the treadmill for 20 minutes. It's, uh, it's just not the same experience. Um, but, but I learned a few things. Uh, people, they, they push themselves hard. Um, but they'll give their lives for other people. And what I mean by that is, you know, I could, I could say, you know, let's go run a mile and, and you'll go and you'll run. And I may even say, run as hard as you can. And you, you might try, but then if I, I have you look and your friends are next to you or your family even, and I say, now run for them or else something bad is going to happen to them or, or, you know, something, you know, they're, they're not going to get something. Uh, you will run so much faster and harder than you even think you can run. And I got to see that on a daily basis. It was, it was unreal. Um, I, I watched a, I watched a guy do, you know, over 300 pushups in a, in a set, just, wow. just to set a record because I told him like his, his team would get like some candy, uh, 
you know, they, we, we don't feed them a lot and they, they were, they don't get any sweets. So we basically, we just told them, we're like, you guys are going to get rewarded. Your team is going to get rewarded if you can knock out all these pushups. And he spent 35 minutes, 40 minutes sitting in the leaning rest doing pushups till his arms collapsed and he couldn't even hold a drink in his hand. I watched a student run four miles at basically, and, and these numbers are, are, it's been a few years, so they, they might be slightly off, but this guy ran four miles at roughly a four minute, 15 mile pace in boots because we told him that if he ran this, if he broke this record, his, his, his platoon, his uh, group of guys would get rewarded. And the guy, he ran till he collapsed. It, it just unbelievable watching this. Um, and it's so motivating to see what 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 humans can do with the right motivation. Um, I learned that your limits that they're just your perceived limits. It's what you think you can do, but very few people know their actual limits, and that's something you find out. Um, some people never find out, but most people find this out when they're motivated the right way, and typically it's when somebody else. Uh, when you're doing it for somebody else, um, you know, I, one thing I learned is, is fear, uh, fear gets men killed and it also makes men quit. I think going through buds and watching or, or training, uh, students through buds, I I've seen so many guys quit when their lifelong dream was to do this. And when you ask them like what happened? five minutes after they quit, they regret the decision and they're totally fine. And they've got like a snack and they've got a blanket around them and they're happy and they're so depressed and like, Oh my gosh, I gave up in a moment of weakness. And it was just fear. It was fear of the unknown. And that same fear gets guys killed uh, on the battlefield. You see both sides, right? You see the side that is the scrawny little kid that pushes through hell week and does incredible things well beyond his, abilities and you also see the muscular meathead that should be okay but fails out in the first day or something how do you what are some of those traits that you had, you've identified as the people that go on what do those folks have that's uh that's a great question um you know i i, I think a lot of it just comes down to grit and uh Angela Duckworth has a has a book on grit and 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 talks a lot about it and I read that as an instructor and it was kind of interesting reading that and also seeing it live while it was going on some people just have it in them that no matter what kind of shit you throw at them they're just going to eat it and they're going to take it and it doesn't matter and <laughs> some of the things we yeah, some of the things that I've seen students go through or gone through myself and you know my my guys are just unreal. And you're like, why are these guys doing this? Like, this is insane. And it's just like for something they want. Um, guys, guys running till their legs break, and then they get, you know. A stretcher and then they spend six months healing their legs and then they sign up and go back through the training um guys guys pushing through and when you tell them to go see the doctor um because they're spitting up blood they tell you no i'm good and you find out that they have pneumonia filled up in both their lungs and they're literally like hours away from suffocating and dying um it's remarkable um, watching people push themselves. Yeah, there's nothing like it. There's there's nothing like it in in the civilian world. It's just it's exclusive to military or exclusive to when people are like out in the woods and and you know the guy who had the boulder fall on his arm and he had to cut his arm off. Or, you know the, the, those like extreme circumstances people find themselves in. But in the military, it's happening every day. And I think there's that kind of interest from folks like me that are very much not military-based that 
there's this kind of interest in testing ourselves. And I know that this came up for me. I was reading, like I mentioned already, Goggins's book. And, you know, he talks about running ultra marathons and it was during the pandemic. And so I'm like, not oh, crap. I'm just going to try running and, and see if I can do some trail running because I wanted to run my first ultra marathon. And, and I think that the only, or one of the kind of major drivers of that impetus of that goal was I want to test myself. I'm not a runner. I never ran more than 10 kilometers before that, but I wanted to see, am I up for this? And where is that next test? And yeah, I just think that in some ways the military provided that passing buds was that test. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of people it is passing that test, but what I would always tell students is don't, don't focus on passing. Don't focus on making it through because of my, you know, my 10 year career, that was, that was eight months. That was nothing. That was a blip on the radar. Yeah. Focus on being a good operator. Focus on being a good person, um, and working for your, you know, your your teammates, your brothers. Then you don't even care about that blip on the radar. You just you're gonna make it through. I know, Mike, that you've spoken at a number of businesses in front of folks based on your experience as a special operator. Where is that overlap between business and special operations? This is my personal opinion. And <laughs> I don't speak for anybody else but me in this. Because there are a lot of businesses out there who claim to be the Navy SEALs of you know, tech, the Navy SEALs of this, the Navy SEALs of that. And I actually, when I was transitioning, I heard a guy say this at uh, like a transition function. Our company, we're we're the Navy SEALs of data, and um, I wanted to just hang this guy by his underwear. I was like, <laughs> "You don't know what that means." That's the most ignorant statement you could say. What th- this is what most companies think, uh, and and I'll and I'll include one of the companies I worked for. They they thought they had like an ethos written on the wall, and they they try to be, you know, like Navy SEALs in so many ways. And I'm just like, you don't understand it. Fundamentally, you don't get it. Businesses call themselves the 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 SEALs or the the special forces of whatever industry they're in because they deep down they 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 see Charlie Sheen uh, wearing a balaclava and they think, yeah, we're the we're the ninjas, the elite force, blah, 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 blah. That has nothing to do with it. Um no no business is is the military because no employees are willing to die for their teammates there's not a single company out there who could look at their their other employees and go you know what i would do anything for you i mean i'm maybe maybe there are maybe but i i've not experienced i i could fully say there's not a publicly traded company out there that is like any special forces because they are not a band of of brothers and sisters, a, a tight knit group. They're just they're, they're motivated by money, and and it's totally different. They're 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 extrinsically motivated. Whereas seals, it's purely intrinsic. Uh, Green berets, rangers, it's all the same. We're motivated by the mission. We're motivated by our people, and companies don't have that. And I just. I get I'm a little worked up even now just talking about it. I, I I get so frustrated when I hear this because companies don't understand. It's cultural. It has nothing to do with how skillful you are or how crafty you are or even your work ethic. It's it's how you look at the people around you and your team. If you could look at your coworkers and say, you know what, I would do anything for you and you would do anything for me, then maybe you're starting to get there. But that's about it. Are there lessons that we can take from the SEALs or or have you and apply it to your own business or our own businesses? Yeah, they, I, I do think so. Um, and I think a lot of companies already have this and, you know, without me saying this, but, you know, the, the, the first one I think is selflessness, right? Willing, willing to put, um, willing to put the company over over yourself your own bonus your own paycheck 
I feel like if more CEOs did this, there would be much happier employees and more productive companies. You know, the, the, these companies where the CEOs are making 30, 40, 50, 100x over their lowest paid employee, right? That's, that's not special forces. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's saying that your, your lowest guy's value is less than that, where in special operations, our, our hierarchy is, yeah, we have a chain of command, but our hierarchy is flat when we're on the battlefield. We're all equal. Um, another one is just work ethic, you know, and I think a lot of startups and, and entrepreneurs, the work ethic is, is on par, right? How many, how many, how many startups or how many entrepreneurs work nine to five? It's just, it's not even a real thing, right? Nine to five. Mm -hmm. That's a joke. You're answering emails at midnight. You're, you're waking up at six stressed out because you may not make payroll. I think I think intrinsic motivation, right? Entrepreneurs also hit this wicket. They they're they're motivated by building something. They're motivated by creating. They're motivated by supporting their employees, their people. Um, that's similar to special forces. I also think humility. Humility is something that you know all companies can benefit from this, but somehow rank and title tends to tends to make people think you know as soon as i become the president or the the vice president i start thinking that i am the vice president or the president and 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 those titles get start to change people's um mentalities you know in, the, in special forces we don't we're we're, we're uh we're a type of community where we eat our own. And if somebody walks into the, the platoon space and says, you know, something arrogant or, or like, Hey, I'm, I'm the vice president or I'm the, the guy in charge. Everyone else just eats their lunch, <laughs> humbles them very quickly. Cause you're like, no, you're just a person just like the rest of us. And then we're a team. And then, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the last things I would say for lessons is uh, companies that give back, right? Not nonprofits are maybe a bad example because that's their full mission is giving back. Um, but even even for profit companies, you know, take take Patagonia for instance, a company that you know they give one percent uh, is is their one uh, percent for the for the environment, or one percent for the world, is is their mantra, and they give back to the environment. They give back to their workers. They're constantly thinking about how they can give those profits back to make their world and their community a better place. Um, I wish more companies did that. You know, they, you have a CEO who who's making billions of dollars, and it's like, is that is that necessary, or could we do so much better with that? Again, from the outside, I know that this may not be accurate, but it's at least my perception. And I know you've gone down this this path of entrepreneurship, of starting your own business, and I really commend you for that. And and I, I know you're going to be successful with that. Looking from the outside, I see as a SEAL, I imagine at least that there has to be this pressure that, geez, I've got to get everything right as a special operator. I've got to achieve X, Y, and Z in this order, and there's no room for failure. But in business, in entrepreneurship, that is pretty much the exact opposite, that it's very much iterate, 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 fail as quickly as you can. How do you personally balance those two? And maybe I didn't even get them right. <laughs> no, that, that's an excellent question because I am so afraid of failure. It's, it's, it's held me back. In so many ways, my whole life, I've been held back by things where I'm like, ah, I might fail. I don't want to. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk it. I've been very risk averse, uh, all things considered. Um, in the military, you you can't fail, right? Or fail failure equals uh, death. But at the same time, like you go through all the contingencies and you mitigate risk and you mitigate the chances of failure. And if if the failure looks high, you you may not go on that that operation, but you might have to. 
um, in the business world, I, it's very easy to forget that none of this is life and death. Hmm. And sometimes I, I've caught myself going, oh God, I can't, I can't risk this. Um, and what's the, what's the worst outcome? You know, you lose money or you can't pay your bills. And that's stressful and it's awful sounding, but at the end of the day, like you can always bounce back. There's always ways to find, find work, find money. Um, and, and I say this having failed many times, uh, I, I have failed, uh, I've started or I've co-founded three businesses now. Um, one was a complete failure. One is not such a failure and one I just started. And then I founded a nonprofit that was also a complete failure. So, you know, I, I think those, those failures are excellent and everybody needs them because man, are they humbling? The, I just, let's talk about school for a second. I have been rejected from more schools than I've even, uh, more schools than I think most people. I, I was just touring UCLA the other day because I lived down the street and, and we were walking on the campus. And I was like, I've been rejected from UCLA three times for three different schools. <laughs> like, like they just don't want me. I and, thought third and time was the charm. Third is supposed to be. Yeah. And I might write them a letter and let them know and that. And explain it. Um, yeah. They're supposed to understand that. <laughs> they didn't. Um but those are they're just great reminders uh that you know one you may not be as good as you think you are or as important as you think you are yes. and two like the world doesn't revolve around you you know we're just we're one piece living in a giant world and every now and then we like to think like we can do anything and have anything and it's a nice gut check to go oh yeah by the way you you still kind of suck at a lot of things like, what do you think is holding you back from even higher levels of success? And I don't just mean financial success, but meaning community, friendships, business, all of that stuff. Wow. I've never thought about that. I think uh, if you want to go real deep into it, it's just, it's fear. It's fear of, uh, it's fear of putting yourself out there maybe fear of being vulnerable, fear of failure, fear of uh, not making enough money to pay your bills. And then will your kids go to college because you're broke and you're this terrible parent because you can't provide for your family? <laughs> I, I think it's just easy to go through a rabbit hole of, of potential failures. Um. It's like you wake up in the morning and and I think this goes for every entrepreneur. I hope. I hope it's not just me. But you wake up in the morning and some days you're like, I'm going to crush today. I am ready and I'm going to take a day. And some days you wake up and you're like, I am not getting out of these sheets. Um, I am so terrified, like terrified of what's going to happen today or I don't want to do it or Ugh, what am I doing with my life? And, and those are just like, I think that's the internal struggle everyone deals with. Right. Uh, or just say, right. Cause I hope I'm right. It's not just <laughs> me. Make me feel better. <laughs> well, I, I think of course you're right. And I also heard you say that you have, you know, some concerns around vulnerability, but I think you're just really vulnerable right there. And so I appreciate that honesty and, and being transparent about that. And that takes a lot of courage. Thanks. Is there anything, Mike, that I didn't ask you that you wish that I did? Is there any message that you want to end this on? I think the message, the only message I would care to say is, is towards veterans. I think transition, transitioning from the military, which was like my home for a decade, transitioning out into this world of people I didn't know, it was the hardest and worst, we'll call it two, two and a half years of my life. 
nothing in my training. It, it felt like nothing in my toolbox had prepared me for the roller coaster of emotions, physically, mentally, that I would go through uh, transitioning. And I hear, I hear a lot of stories and I read things about all these guys who get out and, and, you know, they're having a difficult time and some of them kill themselves. There's a, there's a statistic and I don't know if it's still accurate or not that 22 vets kill themselves a day. And, you know, if, if, if there's any vets listening, I would just say that none of you are alone and it's just it's it's a, the struggle's real and i think that a lot of times we as vets we get we get lost in this world because we think you know oh we're all our brothers are still in but there's a whole lot of us out there um in the civilian world and just try to connect even if they weren't in the same branch even if they served back in vietnam it's been it's been really helpful living in Los Angeles, finding other veterans, uh, special forces, not special forces, doesn't even matter, but finding those guys who have had shared experiences and being able to grab a beer with them and just shoot the shit and kind of feel that sense of normalcy. Mike, I want to thank you so much, my friend, for taking the time to chat with us today. You are such an impressive human being and I'm just really grateful that you shared in such a vulnerable and open way. And for the listeners, if you want to learn more about Mike, you can find him personally on Instagram at Mike underscore Oscar underscore Delta. And you can find Defense Strategies Group on their website at defensestrategies.us or on Instagram at Defense Strategies Group. Mike, thank you for joining us, my man. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. Great conversation. If you like this episode, you might also like episode number 13 with Navy pilot and Philadelphia 76ers executive VP of basketball operations, Alex Rucker. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.